0: As a traditional church, you'll notice signs in this service that tip you off to the fact that we are in the Easter season, if you know what I mean by the Easter season. The Easter season are the weeks that follow Easter until we get to Pentecost. And some of the signs you see are the white stoles that we have, the Paschal Candle, which points to the Paschal Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb, Jesus Christ, which is lit. The beginning of the service, one of the most ancient of greetings. Alleluia, Christ is risen, the Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. There's signs that we're in the Easter season. But I wonder if you're aware in your prayer time, in your walk with the Lord, that this is the time that we are meant to bask in the cross and the resurrection, on the heels of Holy Week. Many of us are conscious of Ash Wednesday and we're conscious of Holy Week and definitely conscious of Easter, but then it's like, eh. I know that you're conscious right now of golf and traffic and weather. I know. And I know that there are people who are not here who are more conscious of those. But the reality is that sometimes, you know, after basking in that and experiencing the resurrection, we kind of just forget about it. It kind of just rolls off. And sometimes the impact of our faith that we experience early in our life, the same thing happens. We lose momentum. We lose focus. Our walk with the Lord becomes something that is passe mundane. When we are meant to bask in the glory, the glory of the cross, the cross where Jesus died in our place for our sin, that we deserve, that even amidst the darkness that covered the land while He hung on the cross, His light, the light of being our sacrifice, the light of the full extent of God's love, was shining. The fact that He laid in the tomb, dead. The light of Christ shone through as He burst from the tomb. That that light is meant to shine in our hearts. And we see this throughout John's Gospel, throughout John's epistles. And I wonder sometimes, does that light really shine in our hearts and in our lives? Nathan last week preached on the resurrection. He focused on John's epistle. And in the process, he talked about the bodily resurrection of Jesus and how important and essential and central that is to our faith. And I think that John in his epistle, Luke in his gospel, reiterate that point. They want you to know That what the apostles experienced wasn't just a wonderful feeling, a change of heart. That something happened to them that just kind of had an impact on them. They changed their opinion about how they're supposed to live instead of hiding in the upper room after Jesus died. He bodily rose from the dead. Luke, the physician, the historian, as well as the theologian, says that they touched him. Says that he ate food. Just to show this is not a ghost. That this is a real person. A person with a body. And then John goes on to say, John the Apostle writing 60 years later, in hindsight, telling what he experienced as he's grown in the faith over the years, trying to impact the younger generation, says, we touched him. He rose again. He's alive. Don't mistake. Don't misunderstand what happened. That the crucified Christ is also the risen Christ. That he conquered the power of sin and death and he walked the face of the earth. Some of you were baptized as infants. You came up through the church and you were baptized as infants. Chances are you don't remember the baptism. But hopefully what you can point to is the fact that the vows that were said on your behalf by your parents, by your godparents, are your vows. That you believe what was said on your behalf and you live into what was said on your behalf. And that if you came to faith as an adult, that you live into that faith. That the goal of Luke in writing his gospel... And John, in writing his epistle, is not just so that people would have faith, but that they would have confidence. So that you would not only have that faith experience of coming to Christ, but that you're alive in your faith, and you're constantly growing in your faith. Constantly moving forward in your faith. That it's not static in your life. That you've not lost momentum. Because of the culture, because of the pressures of the world and the cares of the world. You can lose confidence because of your own weakness. Because you fall short, because of your own sin, you can lose confidence. And the power of the Spirit is not moving in your heart and your life. That you stop growing because you think you've arrived or because there's nothing else In your opinion that you should be doing or how you should be changing when in fact We're talking about a relationship that is meant to be vibrant and growing a relationship with the Lord and a relationship with each other in the church That our lives to be constantly changing changing that the power of the Holy Spirit is more visible and evident in our lives With that in mind I want us to look at John's epistle and what he focuses on right away. As he writes to those young believers, John the Elder, John the Apostle, John who witnessed both the cross and the resurrection, who's writing to these young believers. And he starts off with a, with a word that he says several times. I don't know if you caught it. Two verses, verse 3 and verse 7, he says the word four times. Fellowship. Fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. And I know most of you, most of us, when we first think of the word fellowship, what do we think about? Coffee and sweets down in the pear shell. <laughs> fellowship time, right? Or maybe if you're a little more advanced or a little older or more progressed, wine and cheese. Over nice conversation. You know, when that kind of fellowship is okay, it's a starting point. But it's not really the kind of fellowship that the church is meant to be about. The the fellowship of the church, first and foremost, is fellowship found in and with Jesus Christ. And then we grow in that fellowship, that relationship with one another. The word fellowship is about relationship. Deepening, growing, more intimate fellowship, relationship. In fact, the word in Acts... Chapter 2 on Pentecost really is about sharing in common. That we share Christ in common. We share the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit with each other in community. That we are intimately connected to Him and to each other. That's what communion is about. That John is probably going back to that intimate time in the upper room. Where this fellowship is related to the word to know. Which in the scriptures, the word to know means an ever deepening relationship. An ever deepening knowledge. Intimacy. How do you do that when you're only being superficial with and in the body of Christ? How do you do that when you're only worshiping occasionally and you shoot up an occasional prayer to the Lord instead of growing in the knowledge and love of Him constantly? How do you do that? Because what he's talking about is almost, if you will, possessing. Possessing. Not in the world's way of selfishness, of possession, of control. This is not for your own selfish needs. That you are possessing in your heart the Lord because He has you. That you are possessing in your heart one another because you hold each other dear. You cherish the Lord, you cherish each other. That's the church. That's what the church is meant to be. Not superficial. Not casual. Fellowship. And what goes with fellowship? Joy. What you see over and over again. And John talks about, as he's talking about this fellowship, so that my joy might be complete. Going back to the upper room, that intimate time that they spent with Jesus where there's true intimacy. Jesus knows he's dying. On the one hand, there's a troubled heart. But on the other hand, there's tenderness in the washing of the feet. There's tenderness in him talking about he wants his joy to be complete in them. That fellowship, true fellowship with Christ, with each other, results in joy. That's the goal. Do you understand that kind of joy? Many in the world really don't. Many in the church really don't. Because they've lost their focus. They've lost their commitment. Where the Lord wants you to possess Him. That He's in your heart. That you cherish Him. That you possess one another and that you hold each other in your heart. That we hold each other in our hearts. That's what the church is meant to be. Fellowship and joy. And then we live as children of light. Over and over again in John's Gospel, in John's epistle, you see this reference to light and being children of the light. And what happens when we live in the light we are naturally bearing the fruit of Christ because Jesus is the light of the world. We become reflective of that light. That He is our source for living. That the darkness, if you will, is dispelled. The power of sin, the power of death as we live and walk in this light. And you know what happens when you live and walk in light? You have integrity. You have integrity you're not trying to hide you're not doing these secret sins your life isn't inconsistent you know there's a big cry right now and I'm sure you've seen it in the media and some of you may be feeling it this word that comes up over and over again we all want our privacy we want our privacy protected why what have you got to hide the only privacy I want to have is my numbers that, you know, control my bank account and stuff like that. But other than that, I don't care if you see me anywhere. I don't care if you follow me. I don't care if you read my emails. Because I want to live in the light. I want to walk by the light. And if we are walking in the light of Christ, with the light of Christ, then we can live a life of integrity that we don't mind people seeing, people watching. Do we fall short? Absolutely. Do we sin? Yes. But see, if we're always trying to hide it, Deny it. First of all, it's not reality. But it means we're trying to get away with something. That's why John writes, if we deny that we're sinners, if we deny that we sin, not only are we liars, we're deceptive, we're deceiving ourselves, we're deceiving other people, we make Him a liar. As if we've got it all together and we're perfect. None of us do. That's not the point. The point is, in community, as we learn to live our lives with integrity and openness, as we share our lives with each other, as we're willing to confess our sins one to another, as we're willing to admit that we fall short, that we're sinners, we need forgiveness, and we live in that forgiveness, and we offer that forgiveness, now we're being the community God intended. Because that's reality. Does your life have that kind of integrity? Are you willing to walk in the light, the light of Christ, an honest life? See, because when we're honest about who we are with Him, with each other, because, by the way, you're not hiding your sins from Him, if you haven't figured that out yet. I mean, you may think you're hiding them from your family sometimes. You might think that you're hiding them from other people sometimes. But you're not hiding them from Him. There are no secret sins with Him. And that's why we need to be honest and confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's where we're heading here. That's why as John is wrapping this first paragraph off, that's what he talks about. Forgiveness and cleansed. That's what we all need. That's what we all want. God doesn't want us to live in guilt, in shame, not in false guilt. He doesn't want us to hold on to it. To grovel. That's not what He wants. He wants us to live honest lives, open lives, confess our sin, have them forgiven, and then move on. Not to live in those sins either. Romans 6 talks about we are are dead to sin. We died to sin. Romans 7, Paul even talks about this wrestling match that he has with his own flesh. And then he gets to the end of Romans 7 and he says, Wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our victory. Jesus Christ is the source of our forgiveness. And Jesus Christ is the source of our light. That's what God wants for us. That's what he wants. And that's why as John gets now to chapter 2, he reminds them how this all happens. He refers to Jesus being the atoning sacrifice. The atonement, which I talk about every time in the new members class, the discovery class, the, the word atonement, actually broken down, means at one meant. We are meant to be at-one with God, that intimacy, that deep relationship. We are meant to be at-one with each other, united in the body of Christ. The at one meant, if you will. And theologians also use this term, substitutionary atonement, where Jesus is atonement. Our substitute. We are meant to be the one who dies for our sin. And Jesus went to the cross to die in our place for our sin. He's the only one that could do it because he's fully God, fully man. He's the perfect offering for our sins. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews calls it. And we need that. You know, this past week... I got a call about a month and a half, two months ago from Tom Riley, who's the head of the Pro-Am Committee for the Heritage. Tom calls me up and he says, Greg, we want you to be our first alternate this year. And I said, you're kidding. he says, no, we'd really like you to be the first alternate this year. I said, that's great. I said, what if I have to do the prayer on Monday? He said, you're not doing the prayer. You're our first alternate on Monday. So I said, okay, I can do that. So fast forward to this past Sunday. I get a call from Tom Riley Sunday afternoon. You're in. I said, you're kidding. I was so excited. He said, you're in. I said, who am I playing with? He said, I'll find out and I'll let you know. Don't worry about it, but you're in. I said, great, I'll be there on time. I was there an hour before Warming up, I was a little nervous. And um, it, was, it was so great. I played with Blake Adams. By the way, I gave Tom Riley a hug. I don't know that he's ever gotten a hug. You know, I just kind of reached out and grabbed him. But I played with Blake Adams, and Blake was a really sweet guy, really nice guy, big guy. And uh, I played decent. I shot an 85 on Harbortown, which is one of, my, one of my better scores on Harvardtown. Thank you. Shot a 40 on the front, which was even more a throw. I was playing pretty well on the front. But anyway, um, I, I hit into trees, hole number 16. I hit into sand several times. Hole number 14, I hit the very front of the green. Instead of bouncing forward, it bounced sideways, went in the water. I, I was in every possible hazard at one point that you could get in. I was not perfect. I could not atone for my sins and come back to perfection. (laughs) I could not atone for the sins of my team. Because we came in third place, tied for third. We were out of the money, first and second place got it. And I have to tell you one story about Blake Adams. John Werner, who goes to the early service, was my caddy. He kept me calm. He's a great guy. Anyway, Blake Adams, who's the pro after about four holes, something like that, we're walking up the hole. And he turns to me and he says, you know, I've never played with a pastor who swings like Elvis. (laughs) For those of you that have played golf with me, you know what I'm talking about because I have a very odd swing. But I can hit the ball. So I am thrilled. I played Monday, had a great time, decent score. Tuesday afternoon, I get a call. You're in again. You're kidding. I was like pinging off the walls again. So I called Rick McDevitt over here. Rick was my caddy. And uh, we went down uh, plenty of time beforehand. I actually got switched around a couple times because they said, Greg, we need you at different times, uh, different tea times, uh, because they were moving people around. Anyway, I just had such a thrill but I could not save my team. I could not save team myself I'm not good enough and that's what we all need to come to the conclusion of there's no being good enough someone once asked Annika Sorenstan what's a what's a perfect score in golf she said I suppose a birdie on every hole the best score that was ever shot on a PGA tour was 59. A perfect score is 18. No one comes close. No one can earn their way to heaven. We all need the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We all need his forgiveness and cleansing. We all need to have the reality of what Easter is about in our lives that he died on the cross in our place. For our sin, he rose again to show he has the power. And then on the heels of that, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so that our lives can be transformed. And the question is, is that true for you? Not only do you have that faith, do you have that confidence? Do you live into the call of being children of the light? That the light of Christ shines in your heart. That you live with his love flowing through you. That you possess him and you possess others because you cherish them in your heart. Do you live with joy? There's such a joyless church and world out there. Do you live with his joy? Because he wants us to be children of the light. Let's pray. When we begin Lent on Ash Wednesday, we read from Psalm 51. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain me, sustain in me a willing spirit. Lord God, some are here today who have never really given their hearts to you. Come to know you as Savior and Lord. And I pray by your spirit that you would break into their hearts, open their hearts to the truth, the reality that you died on a cross for them, but that you rose again to defeat the power of sin and death. Lord, that you sent your Holy Spirit to change our lives, and there are some here who have ceased thinking they need to change. They need to grow. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts and in their lives. And Lord, for all of us, that we might continually seek you to grow in the knowledge and love of you. To grow in fellowship with you and your church. Represented by baptism that we are cleansed and forgiven. Represented in communion that we share communion with you and with each other. Lord, let this be so for our lives as we seek to walk in your light, as we seek to be children of the light. For the sake of your gospel, for the sake of your church, and for the sake of the world that does not know you and walks in darkness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.